All right, all right. Well, friends, it is. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> It is so good to be with you today. I absolutely, I feel like it's an incredible honor to be invited to Arbor to share. And you, you just need to know this room is filled with so many people that I love. Uh, hey, Luca, how you doing back there? And yeah, I saw Sean earlier right there. Hi, Allison. It's good to see you. So just so it's really, really it's so fun for me to be here. And and I know many of you don't know who I am or don't know much about me. So I, I want to start by showing you a picture. Uh, there should be a picture on the screen. Um, by the way, this is not the young cast of This Is Us. Uh, this, is, this is my family and my wife, Jody. We've been married for 21 years. And then uh, we had two biological kiddos. So my daughter, Alex, and my son, Caleb. And uh, by the way, Caleb is getting his driver's license in a couple of months. So please pray. Just pray. Pray, pray for him. Pray for mom and dad. Pray for pedestrians. Just, just, just pray. Anything. And then our youngest is Doozy, and, and we had the great joy and privilege of adopting Doozy from South Africa seven years ago. Uh, when we met him, his name was Umdoozy Shozi, which is a, a beautiful Zulu name. It really is. It means comforter. Um, but we recognize that wouldn't sound so familiar to American ears, and so we wanted to give him a new middle name as well as a new last name. But that was a little bit of a challenge for us as parents, because what name sounds good following Doozy. You can't just call him Um Doozy Bob. Like, that doesn't work. And uh, so we prayed about it, and we looked at a bunch of books, and we actually landed on the name Ezekiel, which means God is his strength. And so his name is Um Doozy Ezekiel Howerton, and his name means both comfort and strength from the Lord. And, and he has provided both for our family. So it's just been a great, great season. I also want to let you know, Jake is absolutely right that, uh, that we have been friends and we've been partners in ministry for over 10 years, actually for more like 12 14 years, and it's just been one of those beautiful, beautiful things. I, I just, I want you to know this, that I have, not only that, but my wife and I um, have both trained in the gym in different seasons with his wife, Davey, who is really so much stronger than Jake is, and so... <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just fun to see, and, and we've just watched this incredible journey for Jake and Davey as God has just used their life and their story, and he has grown them, and he has graced them, and I honestly can tell you, I couldn't be more proud of their faithfulness to the Lord, the, how, how they want to make everything about honor and glory to Jesus, and, and I just want to say to you, you're in a great church. You're in a beautiful, great church. God is doing such amazing things, so yeah, you need to know, I pray for you. I, I thank God for you. I thank God for, for Jake and Dave and for all the pastors and leaders here. So anyway, uh, I, I, I'm done. Let me close in prayer. And um, no, I want to ask a question. What if, right, this is a what if question. What if the most important thing in the kingdom is forgiveness? What if that's the absolute mo most important? What if the, you know, a major part of the purpose of Jesus coming to earth and living this humble, holy life coming to earth and allowing himself to be crucified on the cross? What, what if this idea of him resurrecting majestically, if it was all for the purpose of not only forgiving us from our sins, but then unburdening us from this weight of unforgiveness? 
See, unforgiveness is one of those massive issues for, for mere mortals. And, and, and one of the reasons why unforgiveness is an issue is because we can always build reasons, right? We can always come up with righteous reasons why we should remain in unforgiveness. Well, she did that on purpose to me. Uh, he's the one who stabbed me in the back. My partner's the one who lied to me. My spouse did this. My dad wounded me like this. My mom wounded me like this. And so we always have these reasons. I'll forgive when they deserve forgiveness. And it's the most natural thing in the world for us as humans, and yet it's right into the midst of this that Jesus himself speaks the most radical thing, I think, that has ever been taught or, or written. And here it is. I want to jump in. It's from Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verse 38 through 48, and we'll just go through it. Jesus is teaching. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So as you look at that passage, if you ever doubted that Jesus was a radical, that passage should clarify it right off the bat. And I love how he starts it. He starts off with the Old Testament law, and he says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And what this is, by the way, this is, uh, this is justice. Um, this is a focus on retaliation. And a lot of times when people talk about a focus on retaliation, its limit, its scope, etc., cetera, uh, it's referred to then as blind justice. Blind in this case, because if everybody does this, the whole world is wearing eye patches and having false teeth. You know, that's, that's what the passage is about. But the question is, well, what's really going on here? What if there was more going on in the law, that the whole point of the law was not retaliation? What if the whole point of the law was to develop a people who wouldn't even think about taking an eye in the first place? What if the whole heart that God had behind the law was to create a people who wouldn't even think about knocking a tooth out in the first place? See, Jesus is doing something beautiful here. He's standing on the foundation of the law and he's pointing to something higher and holier and more wonderful, more revealing the heart of our heavenly father. Then he goes on, he says, if someone wants to sue you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. Give him the whole outfit, make sure he matches, right? If someone forces you to go one mile, you volunteer two miles, Now, this is really interesting because there were laws on the books in the first century, Roman laws, which gave Roman soldiers the right to grab any Jewish citizen, male or female, of any age and force them to go with the soldier one mile carrying the soldier's heavy pack, weighing up to 100 pounds. And so this this was a very controversial law for the Jews of the day. They didn't like it at all. 
And in Rome, by the way, just to give a quick history lesson, they were the oppressors of the Jewish people. And so what Jesus is saying when he refers to this is he's saying, look, if your oppressor forces you to walk one mile, you volunteer the second for free. You go above and beyond. Now, friends, that's radical. That's outlandish. He's saying don't win the fight, but win the glory for God. Don't cling to your rights, but reveal the goodness of God. Turn the other cheek. He says, do not resist. Well, in that kind of a fight, who ends up winning? God wins the fight, right? God wins the glory in this. I mean, this is really radically difficult to pull off in this fallen world. By the way, I'm preaching to myself through all this, so you have to understand. But, but this is so radical th- that he actually goes one step further. He doesn't just say, turn the cheek. He doesn't just say, tolerate your enemy. He doesn't just say, put up with them. He says, love them. Love your enemies, right? That you're, you're, to, you're to pray for them and you're to bless them. And, and when you do this, he says, you become true children of your heavenly father, Now, why does this make us true children of our Heavenly Father? It's because this is what accurately reveals God's heart for the world. By the way, Jesus never taught something that he didn't also model. And so when Jesus teaches this, then how do you see it in practice? Well, you see it in practice why Jesus washes the feet of Judas before the Last Supper. You see Jesus, he he doesn't throw the first stone, but he forgives the adulteress. You see Jesus reinstating the one who denied him three times. This is Jesus, the only begotten son of our heavenly father, who while stretched out on the cross of Calvary says, Father, forgive these who have spit upon me. Forgive these who have whipped me. Forgive them, the ones who put the crown of thorns on my head. Forgive the ones who who have mocked me or disbelieved in me. Forgive the ones who have drilled the nails into my hands and my feet. Forgive them, he says, they don't know what they're doing, right? Jesus modeled what it was that he taught. And in doing so, he perfectly reveals the heart of our heavenly father, And then he goes on, he keeps going. I mean, this is just like one hit after another. And then he goes on and he says, here's what God does. God brings sunlight to the evil and to the good. And I feel like since we live in Seattle, every time I say the word sunlight, you should say amen. Sunlight? Okay, all right, there you go, we're all in. Because we know what sunlight does to us, right? We, We understand that when the sun comes out, like it did yesterday, thank the Lord, it comes out and then we get giddy and we get productive. I mean, it's like an amazing, it just buoys us up. It happens 19 days a year and it's lovely. <laughs> By the way, so I'm from Southern California originally. God moved me up here for uh, intense punishment. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I just love the sunshine. And, and coming up here, I thought it rained all the time. I mean, people were giving me umbrellas uh, when, I, when I moved up here 14 years ago. And of course, you never use them. Because the deal is it never rains hard in Seattle. It's never just like pouring buckets. It's just like spitting <laughs> all the time. It's like living under the lettuce mister at the grocery store. 
So, so God gives rain to both the evil and to the good, right? And, or, or he gives sunlight, rather, to the, to the evil and to the good. And then he goes on and he says, and he gives rain to the righteous and to the unrighteous. Now, I don't like the rain. I just obviously have tipped my hand in this. I don't like the rain and, 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 and the clouds, you know, they, they drive me crazy. And, and so all that is just sort of my own lens that I read the scripture through. So when I read this, I go, oh, so he sends sunlight. He sends good things, blessings, you know, wonderful things to, to both the evil and to the, the good. But then he also brings bad things, hard things to the evil or to the righteous and the unrighteous. So are you tracking with me? I was like, you know, um, sunshine and rain, joy and pain. Um, but that's Milli Vanilli theology. That's, that's not scripture, right? You got to blame it on somebody, blame it on the rain. Um, some of you are younger, just Google Milli Vanilli. You'll, you'll get it. And then God was so gracious that he allowed me to take a trip to Israel. So I led a trip to Israel and I was there with a, a crew from our church and it was in the, it was in August, it was in the, the, the swelter fest of a dusty desert climate in August and I realized what rain means in Israel. Rain means life. Rain means crops flourish. Rain means that you can pasture your, your herds and flocks. Rain means survival. And then it hits me, what is it that Jesus is talking about? He's saying that the Lord brings sunlight and productivity and energy and blessing to both the good and the bad. And the Lord brings the rains of refreshment and revival and rejuvenation and productivity to both the unrighteous and the righteous. In other words, the heart of our Heavenly Father is so good and so lavish and so loving that he's just pouring out again and again and again without limit, without reserve, just again and again this goodness over all of the earth. I mean, that's an amazing shift. And I just, I, I want you to see, it doesn't mean, by the way, theologians call this principle, they call it common grace, and it's the most beautiful thing I know. What it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean universalism. It doesn't mean just everybody gets in, no matter how horribly they believe, or how bad they treat one another, or what, you know, whatever. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about the heart of God. And it's about God's heart pouring out beauty and pouring out love and pouring out life and laughter and provision. And this is God's heart. So this is why Jesus says that we are not to oppose those who oppose us. Why? Because it reveals the fact that God does not have opposition towards those who are opposed to him. He has love for them and blessing for them and gifts for them. Right? That's why Jesus doesn't want us to win fights with our enemies. He wants us to win our enemies. And the only way we can win our enemies is if we offer them love when they serve us hate. It's to give them goodness when they serve us the worst. It's to use the strength that Jesus has given us not to beat the unlovable out of them, right? but to care for them lovingly. And so I would just ask, and you just kind of be internally processing here, how are you at doing this highest, holiest challenge there is? I mean, if you're like me, you need a, a whole heck of a lot of help. 
And so that brings us to sort of this first main truth here that, that we have to remember, if we're gonna live like this, we have to remember that Jesus offers me forgiveness. He offers me outlandish love and forgiveness first. This is the, the crux of the whole thing. And, and because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, this is done, it is finished. He says, you are forgiven. And so we have to know that we're forgiven here. We have to know it mentally. And then we have to experience his forgiveness here in our hearts. We, we are to feel forgiven. And what that means is we can't sit around in self-pity. We can't hang around in self-condemnation or self-loathing. Um, these things are not God's heart for you. To God, he has forgiven you and he loves you and he wants you to stand up tall and he wants you to be able to look one another in the eye and he wants you to experience the full measure of his love and the limitless amount of his grace and, and the overflow of his peace that you would be absolutely you know, surrounded by his joy that, that, that in Christ and the, 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 the penalty that he has paid for you and the forgiveness and the righteousness that he offers you, it, it's just outlandish, but that's the reality that he wants us to live in. And Jesus on the cross in Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And I just wonder if that might not be the banner over the gates of heaven. That as we enter in, we enter in fully under the grace of Jesus. You know, I wonder if you're like me at any time in my life, I, I feel like I've got maybe an Excel spreadsheet with a list of the sins that I need to confess to the Lord. And so I'll come to him, and I do this often. I have time with the Lord. I try to have time with the Lord every morning before the kids wake up. And so I'm, I'm you know, journaling, and I'm, I'm trying to think, what do I need to offer God? What do I need to confess to him? And, and it's just mentally, it's like this Excel spreadsheet. And and so I come and I try to give him, you know, hey, here's what I'm wrestling with. This is what I'm, oh, I did this yesterday. I said this. I thought, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I just imagine Jesus joining me in that moment. And, and he's like, bro. Now, I don't know if, if Jesus says bro to you, but I'm a, I'm a surfer in exile. So this sounds really natural for me. He's like, bro, listen, you got that Excel spreadsheet. He goes, hold on one second. Can you bring the forklift in? And the forklift comes in, and it's this massive thing, reams and reams of paper, you know, printed, single space, both sides, you know, and it's a stack, floor to ceiling. And he says, that's actually the list of your sins. Uh, that's, that's from last Saturday morning, actually. <laughs> 11, 15 to noon, right there, you know. And so that, that's what really is going on. And he said, but, but listen, I, I took care of it. I've taken care of all that, and, and I love you, and... And so come over here, you know, and gives me a noogie or whatever. And uh, I, I just, I want you to see that there's this reality that the, the love and the grace of Jesus for us, it is so overwhelming. It's so over the top. Another mental picture I have is that I'm standing in the middle of a field of grace. And I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the very middle of this field. And, and the field is a thousand miles square. And if I start taking steps, trying to journey toward the edge of that field, every step I take, the field increases two steps. Because you know, that's what the Apostle Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And this recognition that the field of grace, it is limitless. And the love of God that, that's poured out through the cross of Jesus, it is unconditional. It is unending. It is everlasting. It is without limit. 
And that's what Jesus is offering you. That's what Jesus is offering me. It's much more than we deserve. It's grace. I read a story about a guy named Fiorello LaGuardia. And you might know the name. He was the mayor of New York City during the Great Depression and World War II. And New Yorkers called him the little flower because he was only five foot four and he wore a carnation in his lapel. I always thought that doesn't sound very tough, the little flower. And then you say it with an Al Pacino accent, say hello to my little flower. (laughs) That's pretty tough, you know, I, I get it. He used to ride around in New York City fire trucks. He used to take whole orphanages to baseball games. When the newspapers were on strike, he would get on the radio and he'd read the funny papers to anyone who would listen. And, and it's no wonder they named the airport after him. He, he loved his city so much. He was beloved by his city. And one story, it was a cold night in January 35. LaGuardia shows up at a night court and he dismisses the judge. He takes over the bench himself. And a tattered elderly woman was brought before him, and she was caught stealing a loaf of bread. She confessed this, and and she explained, though, her bedridden daughter's husband had left and abandoned the family, and her grandchildren were starving. That's why she stole the loaf of bread. But the shopkeeper, whose bread was stolen, refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor, he said. She needs to be taught a lesson and to teach everyone around not to steal. I demand justice. And so LaGuardia sighed. He said, you know, he's right. I've got to punish you. Uh, The law says either 10 days in jail or $10. And as he pronounces the sentence, the mayor reaches into his pocket and pulls out a $10 bill. He throws it into his hat and says, here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm gonna fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a grandmother has to steal bread to feed her grandchildren. Bailiff, would you collect the fines? And so they went around, they collected 50 cents from every person in the courtroom, including the grocery store owner. And when they had collected the money, they gave it to this bewildered woman. It was $47.50, an absolute fortune for her. And everyone in the courtroom stood up and applauded. See, she didn't get what she deserved but she received grace. And I, I, just, I just wanna ask the question, you know, what did she deserve? Well, she had stolen a loaf of bread. That's a high carb crime. <laughs> That's an assault on calories, right? That, she was a gluten for punishment, okay? <laughs> Should I drop Mike right there? Just peace. Um, no, stealing is stealing, right? Crime gets punished, and, and that's what justice demands, and so what did LaGuardia do? He satisfied justice, and then he blessed her on top of it. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace for us. You see, even when we bring the trouble on ourselves, even when we're the ones finding ourselves landing in sin again, our Father God's grace is unending. His love is unfailing. It's because of Jesus. It's because of what's been accomplished on the cross. So we can receive his grace and be washed in his grace. We can receive his words over us today. I love you, I forgive you. You are my child. My justice is satisfied. I have set you free. So we receive the grace of Jesus. Will you live in the grace of Jesus? Would you, would you live under his words over you today? They are the most outlandishly loving words ever spoken. Now, 
I do want you to feel encouraged by this. I want you to feel it. I want you to walk in it, to live in it, to own it for yourself. But understand that the love of Jesus, which was poured out on the cross of Calvary, it's not only for you. Now there's the challenge, right? Now we go back to those words we started with. This is what he calls us to live for one another. And so this is the next big truth. The challenge is to choose to forgive others outlandishly. And it goes hand in hand with the first truth. The idea is Jesus has forgiven us outlandishly. Now we are to forgive others outlandishly. You've been forgiven much. You've been graced much. You've been loved much. Now we take that and we love and we forgive others. The scripture says in 1 Peter 3, 9, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Isn't that beautiful? Pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do and he will bless you for it. Right, so don't repay evil for evil. This is, this is what th- this new covenant allows for us to enter into. And I just wanna speak really gut level with you for a moment. This is true, this is true. Uh, spiritually, this is true. This is true psychologically, it's true emotionally. Let me be really, really clear. Forgiveness is uncomfortable. Unforgiveness is uncomfortable. It's gonna be uncomfortable whichever pathway you choose in this regard. So choose the uncomfortable pathway that leads to life and health, that opens you up and invites you into the freedom that Jesus has for you. If you choose forgiveness, that's where you're going. If you choose unforgiveness, it's as uncomfortable as as anything else. However, it leads to bitterness. It leads to a prison of your own heart. So make sure you're, you kind of get that reality in mind. Um, it's an act of the will. It's a releasing of your desire for retribution and it actually shifts. You no longer even want retribution. You actually want health and healing and wholeness for the person who has wounded you. I found this great quote from, from a scholar named Lewis Smeads. He says, you know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. Now, I want to be really clear. This does not mean that you pretend you're hurt away. This does not mean that you pretend the offense has never happened. There's a phrase, at least I know guys use this phrase all all the time. They say things like, oh, no big deal. Uh, That was no big deal. It's not pretending that that a wound was no big deal, but it's asking for God's help to release the power of forgiveness through you, to wish them well, to wish them health and wholeness and blessing. Now, I don't think that I'm the best person to do this, but I do know that God has allowed me to walk a road where I've experienced this. Uh, When I was a young teen, one of the leaders in the youth ministry that I was a part of down in California sexually abused me in my sleep at an overnight. And and there was so much shame that was involved in that season. There, there was so much pain. There, was, there were so many unhealthy ways that I ended up processing that in my own life as a young man. And yet I, I just wanna say that one of the pivotal things in my own personal journey of healing was learning to forgive that man, learning to forgive that offense. And you might ask, well, how do you do it? I mean, I really was processing this week. How, how can I tell people that I did this? I, I really just want to say it was God working in me and releasing me from that prison just that I was in. 
But it also, I mean, I won't lie, I've been in counseling. I mean, we've done seasons of counseling around this issue. Time also has, been, has played a factor. But I can honestly say, because of the forgiveness that Jesus has offered me, I do forgive Ken. I do release, I, whenever I think about him, it's not much, I, I've thought about him this week as I was gonna share this story with you, but I, I want health for him. I want wholeness for him. I, I, don't, I know he's in a prison himself. I want him to be free of that prison. So I just share this with you, just knowing that I'm a journeyman just like you. I'm on the same kind of journey that you are. But understand that there is a choice you can make to release others, to forgive others, and you yourself will be blessed as you do it. Again, this is the most outlandish stuff that Jesus is calling us to. This is the highest and holiest stuff that he's calling us to. But it is a beautiful thing for you to step into that reality. You've received forgiveness freely. Now offer it freely. You have been graced freely. Now grace others freely. Right? You've been blessed. Now even if people serve you the worst, you serve them blessing. Last night, I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to sleep from about 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. I don't know if this ever happens to you. I know there are some young moms in the room. You're like, yes, every single night. But I was excited about being with you today and I was excited about this message. And so I just, you know, I kind of woke up and I was spending some time with the Lord and praying over my family and all the stuff that sort of I'm stressed about. But I, I kind of, I had this image come into my head. I think it's from the Lord. And it's what I'll close with. It, it was the image of all of us, right? It's like we have a backpack, and when we choose to hold on to hurt, when we choose not to forgive, it's like we fill that backpack with rocks, big, heavy, brick-sized rocks. And, and when people offend us, when they wound us, when they intentionally betray us or harm us, we just, we hold on to those things and we just put them in our backpack. And, and then we wonder why life feels burdensome why the joy isn't as fresh, why, why the energy for serving, it just isn't there. It's why the exhaustion is so readily apparent. And, and the picture I got last night was that Jesus is inviting us to come to the foot of the cross and to set down our backpacks and just to take the rocks out one by one and to forgive those who have wounded us, to pray blessing over those who have, who have harmed us and, and just release them to Jesus, knowing that Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus, when he, when he paid for the penalty of sin for all of us, that he forgave us outlandishly. And now he invites us to live free and to forgive others outlandishly as well.